What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, it's your host, Charles, and today we've got another great episode for you. It's another one of those trading episodes because I know you guys love them. Today, I'm sitting down with Cheds, Twitter handle Big Cheds. He is a Japanese candlestick expert. He's been trading for over 10 years. Uh, he's kind of made the move to crypto, but still trades a few different markets. Uh, this guy's got a long laundry list of things that he's done. He's also wrote, he just recently released a book that has been two years in the making, and he plans on putting another one out sometime in the next two years. He really wants to do a lot of research and get that out. So we're going to be sitting down talking about his trading strategy, kind of how it's developed over the years. But before we do that, I do just want to take a quick second to thank the two sponsors and make an announcement. You've heard it almost every episode now. Uh, if you are listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms, this is another video interview. We will be seeing his face half covered up by a mask and glasses, but we will be seeing him and then we will be pulling up some charts uh, so that you can see what he is looking at when he is trading. So there's a link in the description below. If you're on the podcasting platforms, highly suggest heading over to YouTube, subscribing there. Most of the videos are going to be video interviews going forward. The second thing was those sponsors. Do just want to give a quick shout out to Crypto.com and CoinFlip, two big, big names in the industry that I'm very excited to have taken on as sponsors. It's been a couple months now uh, and I couldn't be happier. And then just recently, MetalPay has come on as a sponsor for the month. So big shout out to them. A couple quick things on the other two though. Uh, first, the... 3% fee or the 3.5% fee uh, for purchasing crypto from crypto.com ends this month. So if you're trying to purchase some crypto, you need to use a credit card, head on over. You can get that fee waived. On top of that, this month is also the end of the 10% cash back on the grocery purchases and food delivery service if you have their MCO Visa credit card. So just wanted to get those out of the way because the month is ending soon. Uh, and then I think the most important announcement for these guys this week and this month is that they're doing another 50% off Bitcoin sale through the syndicate for the four-year anniversary. So if either of these things interest you, you want to get some cheap Bitcoin, half off. It's on the 30th of this month. There's a link in the description below. You can head on over, check it out, apply, and get that cheap Bitcoin. And then there's CoinFlip. These guys are the largest Bitcoin or crypto ATM in the industry by volume and the third largest by number of machines. True titans of industry, honestly. And uh, again, very excited to have them on. Uh, they recently launched their OC OTC, sorry, OTC desk uh, about a month ago now. Uh, and it's a pretty cool service. They have very low minimums, $5,000 minimum. They've got customer support pretty much round the clock and some of the lowest fees in the OTC market. So if you're trying to get off these exchanges, you don't want to support them anymore, you can check out Crypto or CoinFlip. Sorry, got too many sponsors now. Um, you can check out CoinFlip, hit their OTC desk, pick up some Bitcoin. Then lastly, somewhere to send you. There's a link in the description to below to their website. You can see where all of these guys' ATM machines are actually located. If you want to get out, make a purchase from an ATM, uh, you can head on over, find the closest one to you. You can show your friends how to use it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so thank you guys for sitting through that. I know it was a long one. It's getting longer with all these sponsors, but thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, now let's get to the episode. With all right. So we are here with Cheds. First of all, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, before we get into the actual meat of the interview, talk about your trading strategy, how it's progressed over the years, do you think you could just give us some quick background on yourself, what you were doing before you got started trading, and then maybe a little bit on your intro to Bitcoin or crypto, uh, just for our knowledge on your kind of transition? So that's good. Um, and thank you for having me. It's a great question. Uh, and Charles, it's great to be here. Thank you for the audience. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, nobody's ever really asked, like, what, what did you do before trading? So that's interesting. I, I do have a background in psychology. I studied that in college. 
Um, and that kind of actually is, is just as valuable as per se my Japanese candlestick studies. Um, so before trading, you know, psychology. So that kind of informs a lot of my thinking, social behavior. I played a lot of poker. I was, I was a, you know, mixed success rate, amateur poker player, grinder for, for several years. Uh, so I understand a lot of the, the psychology part of it. Um, I started trading over 10 years ago, mostly started out with like equities markets. I had really no idea what I was doing, trading maybe the news. Maybe I was buying the news, uh, you know, when other people were selling it, uh, for example. And then I, um, I really got serious. I started to really cut my teeth uh, back in 2013, 2014, when marijuana became legalized in the U.S. And there was an explosion of volume and action in the penny stock market. Uh, I started trading OTC, penny stock markets, not just, you know, um, micro cap, but just like ultra, like tiny, tiny, hundredths of a penny. And I learned a lot about volatility. I learned a lot about kind of the social dynamic of people trying to create enthusiasm so they could sell into it and people trying to FUD or whatever, people trying to talk these because they're so, it's so illiquid. You could, you could maybe via a message board drive the price down. So there's kind of an interesting dynamic. I studied a lot of that. And then I kind of uh, fell into Japanese candlesticks and I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. What is this pattern? What is that pattern? And uh, so I started to learn candlesticks. And uh, I started to kind of try to learn from my own mistakes. So I've made some spectacular mistakes. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if you're trying to jump in or not, but I just made a lot of mistakes doing that. Well, um, no, I, ju I just wanted to say it sounds like every other trader ever who, <laughs> who lost a ton of money to kind of learn how to trade. And I feel like everyone kind of goes through that. I mean, you have, I mean, you have to, if you haven't done that, something's not right. Um, you're kind of, it's like, you're trying to build a chemical formula. You're missing some elements. If, if right. I think that if you don't skin have to... in the game really is important without it. You can, your, your emotions don't run as wild when there's no money involved. You can look at a chart, you can trade it on paper, but until you actually start putting money down on the line, it's a totally different game. I mean, you you could kind of go anyway with that. That's you raise a lot of great points, obviously, and 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 this, the point many people have made is is um, you can mess up a great chart setup. All you have to do is let your emotions take over. I mean, it doesn't matter how good the setup is, how great your entry was. It's you just you can totally ruin it very easily. So emotions are the hardest part of the game. Yeah, see, um, that, that's why I kind of like to ask on background, and your background definitely feeds into your trading. Uh, your one, your strategy, or two, just long term trading. Um, yeah. You know, I've had a bunch of people on some episodes have been completely centered around the psychology of trading uh, mm. and how it affects markets. And so you having that background has probably been very beneficial to you. And then you talked about weed stocks as uh, kind of an emerging market, very low cap stuff, very easy to move the market in a sense. Uh, and I'm sure that kind of also helped once you made that transition to trading Bitcoin, trading. I don't know if you trade altcoins too much. Um, I do. I okay. trade all of it. I trade all of it. And the parallels are interesting. And kind of the back to the fact that it was low volume. It, it helps me understand that with any technical analysis style, classical charting, Japanese candlesticks, uh, the volume is the strength of the signal. So I started to learn how to spot false signals, how to learn how to gauge the strength of any signal. So I really understood, like, I became a worshiper of volume. I'm all about the volume, man. You know, I mean, that's what I follow. That's what I respect. That's what, that's what, that's the ultimate arbiter, right? Um, so I started to learn about candlesticks. I started to learn about trading risk management, and I started a blog. Uh, chedstrading.blogspot.com and the tagline was helping new traders avoid my old mistakes because there were so many mistakes I kept making eventually when I kind of got on top of them I started to get on top of them and then you know I would teach that because with any discipline once you've learned it uh, if you can teach it to someone else that's really the mastery level that's where you have to go next so I started to do that I started to teach my mistakes so I could keep learning I started the blog I did that for a few years um, and then I got into crypto. There we go. So are you primarily trading crypto now or are you still trading traditional markets as well? I trade all markets actually. Okay. For me, it's uh, it's just volume on a chart. I'm actually trading uh, Forex right now. Um, uh, it's similar to crypto, uh, perhaps not as volatile, but I've trade, I trade uh, you know, Forex, I trade altcoins, I trade, um, one only thing I really don't do is spot Bitcoin. I really leverage Bitcoin and I hodl Bitcoin. You know, I have a cold wallet for Bitcoin and then I kind of I'll leverage trade it with some like trading funds. Uh, I trade options on, on the big board, uh, you know, like 
Tesla options, whatever. I just trade options sometimes wherever I kind of see an opportunity or, or maybe I'm not some grand guru or anything, but wherever I feel like playing, you know, there's just so many different ways to crack an egg. And I, I just, it's just a chart to me. I look at the chart. If I can, if there's a chart, I can trade it. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I'm just wondering how you stay on top of it because I try to stay on top of the crypto markets as best I can. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's too much for me. So those got you guys who are kind of trading three, four different markets. It, well, it blows my mind. I only watch like crypto. I watch. So that's kind of my thing. I have it in my phone. Um, I'm all, I mean, I don't go more than five minutes uh, checking Bitcoin. Uh, it's that's what the sign of an addiction. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's me. But I don't. But that's kind of that's who I am and who I am. And I I, I want to provide value to people in my feed. So I I need to be able to like be timely with signals. If I see big key signals, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, send that out or I'll just observations. I want to kind of have a good sense of the pulse uh, of the Bitcoin price action because it's an ecosystem. And if you trade altcoins, you don't have to really follow the alts if you follow Bitcoin because you can kind of understand how the BTC pairs will trade based on the strength of Bitcoin uh, as Bitcoin's consolidating within, you know, hopefully within kind of a well-defined pattern, a bull flag, whatever, uh, you know, bull pennant, whatever pattern that gives you the opportunity to play the alt. So I watch Bitcoin to get a sense of that market. And I definitely, like, I don't watch CNBC all day. I don't do any of that stuff. You know, I'm listening to book on tape on my phone, you know, uh, gardening and then checking Bitcoin on my phone, you know. There we go. So you, you don't let it consume you and you're not spending every waking hour paying attention. Oh, I, it. it consumes me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds no, like you've got a nice, you know, getaway yeah, from you're talking about audiobooks, gardening. Yeah. It sounds like a yeah, very yeah, peaceful yeah. life. You think of the typical crypto trader and he's in right. his room 17 hours a day right. with the blackout shades drawn. So that well, you don't have to trade all the time. And a lot of what I do isn't trading. A lot of what I do is providing content. I provide regular updates in Bitcoin Live, long form updates. And I provide kind of, random free a free thought free association stuff on twitter you know uh or just whatever you know kind of comes off the top of your head um so that's a lot of what i'm doing i'm not always trading but there we um go. i I'm mean trading. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of people i've talked to they, they say that you know trading it's a lot of finding the right setup taking the trade you're not staring at charts all day you know you find your setup you take the trade you kind of set it and forget unless you're trading yeah, yeah. the one second candles and even then you're you know taking a trade backing off resetting getting into mm. another trade so i i think the stereotype of sitting on on your laptop all day is kind of a little bit out there um, but how can you stay in the moment? How can you stay in the moment that long if you're doing it all the time? You right. Know, if you're just if you're staring at the chart, you're gonna miss it, right? It's just like anything in life. Um, you have to pull your gaze away. You have to kind of step away, refresh, you know, and then come back and then you see it, right? You have to trust your muscle memory of looking at so many charts over time or looking at so many order books over time that you get a feel for it. Um, and if you're just looking at it, then you become numb, I think, to kind of the subtleties. There we go. Um, so circling back on you, you had mentioned Jap Japanese candlesticks. You talk about volume. You've kind of yeah. talked about your trading progressing over the years from, you know, weed stocks uh, to kind of more traditional stuff to crypto markets. Uh, so do you think you could just, you know, catch us up to date, you know, as recent as possible? Can you give us a high level overview of your trading strategy? Well, trading strategy. So generally speaking, um, what I want to do is, is wait for a good entry. So I like to sit on like a low ball entry. What I, what I try to avoid to do, uh, try to avoid doing is buying in the middle of a channel. So a lot of what I do, for example, uh, is I'll buy on a pullback within an uptrend. So you, you hear a lot of people saying, you know, don't trade against the trend. What, you know, so, buying, like for, so buying a dip in an uptrend is a, generally a safer thing. Uh, then perhaps, you know, trying to short, you know, an uptrend, trying to guess when it's going to pull back for that consolidation. Um, I use certain moving averages. I use the eight EMA, the eight exponential moving average, which uh, is exponential moving average, a little different than a simple moving average uh, in that it puts a little more weight in what just happened, you know, the first, second and third day versus that eighth day. So it's a little more attuned uh, per se. So I use an eight, you know, pull back to an eight EMA, maybe I'll buy there. But if that's my thesis, I often talk about uh, your trade thesis. Your trade thesis is I'm buying here because, right? I'm buying here because it's a retest uh, of a prior candle's support uh, entry, right? Because a lot of times uh, with Japanese candlestick theory, uh, and this is interesting, I was just reading a classical charting book. Um, 
today, and I'll get to that point in a second. But with Japanese candlestick theory, the best entries often come on the on the retest of the support zone. So you have a nice hammer. After the hammer closes, if you're buying on the hammer, maybe you're in the middle of the channel. Might go up a little bit, come back down. You want to buy in the retest of the support zone. Uh, and so that's kind of Japanese candlestick theory, um, you know, Eastern TA. And I was reading the book that I don't know if you, you see me tweet or other people see me tweet called um, it's like Stock Market Profits by Schaubacher. It's like written in 1930s or whatever. And it's talking about, uh, you know, when when you have a breakout and a retest and, it, and it, you know, so you'd think, oh, I'm, the best entries come on, on the retest after the breakout. But classical charting would argue that more likely than not, your best entries actually come on the breakout. So I'm kind of trying, I'm looking at the differences in the schools of thought. I'm trying to blend those. You, you talked about how I started with candlesticks. Uh, I'm studying classical charting right now. I'm, uh, I'm going to take my CMT level one exam in, Dece in December. You know, I want to plug those holes for those, those parts of this discipline that I don't understand. And I'm trying to catch up on those. You know, now that I've published my book, I published my cancer memoir. I'm really kind of doubling down uh, kind of on, this, on studying. And I really, really want to understand classical charting. There we go. So it sounds like you're trying to become a very well-rounded trader, which I you think have is, to. yeah, I think that's kind of the foundation for any long-term traders who are going to be around for a while. They need to build that foundation, be really well-rounded. And then I think after that, some people decide, all right, I'm going to specialize in this specific trading strategy. So you also mentioned, you know, volume is a big part of your tra trading strategy. Sorry. Um, so I was wondering if we could maybe pull up a chart and go through, see exactly what you're looking at. Uh, so my audience can get an idea of what you're seeing when you sit down to trade. Sure. Why don't I just jump in? We'll, uh, let's say we'll use the Bitcoin weekly chart. Um, and we'll kind of start out with a basic concept. So a uh, basic concept is generally speaking, you're going to find the most volume at the top uh, and the bottom. So like a top and say a bottom. So you want to be looking for a volume cluster. This is a bottom volume cluster. So what, let's kind of zoom, let's kind of um, drill down on that. Before that, you had essentially a declining volume trend and noticeable, noticeable declining volume trend, right? Everybody was watching uh, this descending triangle. We had the descending triangle, triangle breakdown. So with any kind of pattern, uh, when you have a breakdown, you want to look for uh, volume confirmation. So on this breakdown, we have the accompanying uh, volume uh, kind of emphasizing the, the, the loss of that horizontal support. We have kind of the volume cluster coming in, kind of that capitulation movement. And then you had a bullish confluence with the MA200 support, the MA200 double test, you know, that led to that 834 bull cross we've talked about, or I've talked about at least, and then over here, MA200, obviously. Um, but volume... Let me just kind of back up on that. So here's another volume cluster, kind of a bottom volume cluster. And if we're trying to spot a, vol a top right now, right? Have we topped out in the weekly chart? Um, uh, where's, the, where's really the top volume? We don't have the top volume yet. We don't have that kind of blow off top volume if you're looking at it kind of in that, in that way. Um, here's also how it plays in kind of a general concept. Uh, like you take like a head and shoulders. So not that there's one right here, but you take a, he a head and shoulders, right? You're going to get the, so this is a bearish reversal. You get the most volume on the left shoulder, a little bit less there and a little bit less there. So you kind of get the most volume on that first up thrust on a top. Same thing with a bottom. Generally speaking, as a bottom is forming, say a bottom kind of forms like a triple bottom. You want the most volume on that first push down and kind of a little bit less. Because with, with any kind of consolidation, there's a rule that the most volume kind of comes here and then volume will slowly die up as you reach the apex. This is a symmetrical triangle, right? So everyone talks about uh, with Bitcoin, we'll go back in the daily chart and bears were pointing to the fact that we didn't have a lot of volume here. I, on crypto Twitter, everybody could point to a lot of uh, tweets. Where's the volume? Where's the volume? It's going to reverse. When you're in an established trend, in this case, you were rising, you know, you don't need a lot of volume in the middle of a channel, right? Volume comes at the top, volume comes at the bottom, you know, volume comes on a breakout, right? So that's, those are kind of general principles. That's classical charting. That's Western TA, right? With Japanese candlestick analysis, uh, what you want to do when you're trying to decide what's going on is in any kind of um, period in time, you know, if I was looking at these 10 or 15, whatever candles, whatever the candle is that has the most volume in this case, it's this volume in June 2nd, it's a dark cloud cover you know, closing below the midpoint of the prior Marabozu, a green candle. Uh, that's the most important candle because it's the most volume. What that does is kind of define 
the resistance based on its upper shadow, its lower shadow. Uh, that's number one with candlestick theory. Number two is the strength of any candle signal, you know, like a hammer, uh, is, is the volume, in many ways, is the volume behind it. So, you know, like a weak volume hammer, even if it's at the lower Bollinger band after a pullback, is not that good. Like you want volume on a hammer because that shows that there was a dip. People bought the dip, they pushed it up and they accumulated, you know, pushing higher towards that green close or even the red close or the red, you know, red uh, candle body. So you, so with, with Eastern TA, you want volume on any candle signal um, and you want to look for the candles that have the most volume because that kind of sets the tone uh, weekly. I think in the weekly, we've had a bunch of um, like here, like this is a high wave spinning top. This is still the highest candle. And a lot of people were calling it uh, this last weekly candle bearish. It's not really bearish, kind of in the middle. It's not uh, um, a shooting star. A lot of people call this a shooting star. Shooting star, I mean, I could pull it up. But a shooting star, if there was no lower shadow, this would be a shooting star, given uh, if and only if the upper shadow was twice the length of the real candle body. This is a spinning top. A spinning top doesn't have to have equal upper and lower shadows. Like this is a spinning top, even though in theory it's a shooting star, or you can call it an inverted hammer because it's kind of middle of channel. Any kind of real, any sm small real candle body is a spinning top. There's a spinning top, but back here is a high wave spinning top with the long upper and lower shadows. That's the most volume kind of in this cluster. So it was interesting for me in this weekly close that we actually broke up above that high. That's something that's interesting. We'll kind of see if we can kind of revisit that. And we also have a higher candle body close here on the June 1st close you know, versus May 11th. So bulls actually still have a pretty good edge here, uh, just kind of based on the volume chart. I'm mean, based on the weekly chart, Charles. There we go. Wow. Lot, lot to cover there. I think two of the most important things that you're talking about here, because I feel like when I see a lot of beginner traders, they're posting, you know, different chart patterns, but they don't focus on the volume at all. And I think yeah. that's really where like the next step comes in. I mean, hundred percent volume is volume. Uh, it's like the ledger. It's like the blockchain. They're registered entries. They're they're things that happen. It's what's already happened. The volume. These are that you know the chart isn't isn't so much for predicting. The chart is analyzing what's already happened. So for me, everything's baked in. I don't really follow the news. Like if it's important with the news, you'll see it in the chart, and you'll see a, you want to see a volume reaction to something. So you always should watch the volume for clues. Um, and especially when you have like a, a pretty clear volume trend, um, you know, just like a downward trend of volume and then a spike that kind of indicates a change in momentum. You want to kind of pay attention to, to changes in momentum in order to have a change in momentum. You have to have volume. There we go. So two quick things that I want to ask, uh, just based off of what we had talked about there for a little bit, you pulled mm -hmm. up the weekly chart. Is that something that you're trading? Is that your kind of bread and butter or do you drop down to lower timeframes at any point? So that's a, a great question. Um, I weekly is kind of just to understand the big picture. I'm definitely not trading per se in the weekly. Uh, I put out a tweet, uh, a couple of years ago, not to you know, pat my own back or whatever, but I made the metaphor that um, in terms of time frames, it's like a chart, uh, a scientist uh, with, um, I always forget the name of this word, not the magnifying glass, but you put the, the samples, the slides under the- A microscope? Yeah. I always, <laughs> I always so, so with a microscope, you're moving your magnification to different levels to kind of get a sense of the different layers and what's going on. That's the same thing with trading. Uh, if I'm trading, it's really, it's really one hour, four hour, even 15 minutes if something's going on. But I really, I almost never go below 15 minutes, but I'm always pulling back to get a sense of what's going on, uh, you know, daily and weekly. I even, I, I like 12 hour a lot actually for trade trading altcoins because you get a little, it's a little more nimble than the daily chart. I maybe pick my entry base in the four hour and the 12 hour confirmations. So you kind of want to look at multiple timeframes, but the danger of that is you want to avoid um, you want to avoid looking for a time frame that um, that uh, reinforces your own bias. Right? Yeah, that's I feel like really, that's a, that's really a big easy issue. To do. Yeah, that's a big issue. Like um, the, the four hour looks like garbage, but they, they yeah. zoom out to the one day or the weekly and they're like, oh, this looks good enough. Or they go the opposite direction and say, weekly looks like trash. Let me zoom into the 15 minute and oh, I found something. I found my entry. Another mistake people make, a uh, pretty common mistake, is uh, especially if they're using indicators. Um, so you take like, uh, you know, if you have a 12-hour chart, 
depending on when you look at it, you may be looking at a candle that that's only like 20% formed, right? Like the, you know, like if you look at the daily chart an hour after it's closed, you have a brand new candle, but you're only one into one hour into 24. And we need to remember with these oscillators, all these, um, you know, unbalanced volume, RSI, whatever people are using, MACD, they're all calculating based on a candle close. So they're kind of, they use the indicators with a fully baked in value of a full candle without it fully forming. So you have to be really careful when you're switching time frames and look how much time is left in that candle. Um, that's why what I, you know, when, when I, I like to look at charts just before the candle close, the daily candle is a great time to do it. You get the full value, the full fidelity, right, of a daily candle. So you got to like be careful. Yeah, I feel like most people are kind of on that same wavelength. That's why you see that kind of spike in volume towards the end of these candles. Um, yeah. So you talked about indicators. I know you mentioned the 8 EMA. Is there anything else that you were throwing on your charts uh, to kind of add to the confluence of a trade? And then... Sure, sure. Um, so uh, I'll just kind of walk you through my setup, if I may. Just kind of give you a, just a basic rundown. Of course. Uh, love so that. I'm a job... I'm a Japanese candlestick trader, and with candlesticks, you want to use Bollinger Bands uh, by John Bollinger. He's a great guy. He's, he's, he's on Twitter. You can find him. And the Bollinger Bands are kind of um, – you may have heard of like Keltner Bands. They're kind of like Bollinger's, but it's a little bit tighter range. Bollinger Bands let you know uh, – they tell you about price movements outside of the standard deviation, kind of the big movements. So it's not no, – nothing is foolproof. Uh, but for example, if you look at times when you've gone above the upper Bollinger Band, you know you usually get a little pullback afterwards. And this is a daily chart. Obviously, um, it's probably much more easy to illustrate on like a one hour, uh, on like a lower time frame. And this is crazy, um, you know, Darth Maul or high wave candle. Maybe we'll do like a four hour. So let's do in this four hour chart. You see right here, right? So four hour, you know, dip. If you start buying here, okay, you're still gonna have a little bit of pain. You lost a couple hundred bucks depending on your stop loss management. But if you hung around, you knew you were oversold, you're kind of near, you know, you're kind of hanging around like in a, po a pocket of, you know, support. So if you look at Bollinger Bands, they show you price movement outside of a standard deviation. You kind of get a pullback. Uh, so you have the upper and lower. You have the brown line is the middle Bollinger Band. It's the SMA 20, Simple Moving Average 20. So I use the Bollingers. And with candlestick theory, the strength of any candle signal um, can be gauged effectively by uh, where it's positioned. So you like a hammer candle, which is a reversal candle, you want that at the lower Bollinger Band or ideally below the lower Bollinger Band, right? You don't want it in the middle of the channel, okay? Uh, a tweezer top, which is a bearish reversal signal. You don't want that at the middle Bollinger. You want it up here for a clear signal. Like you want, you want your reversal candles, you know, at the upper Bollinger Band. You want your, you know, your bear reversal candles here and you want your bull, bull reversal candles there. So that's like a general principle that's very valuable for gauging uh, you for using candles, okay? Um, I also use two indicators. I use the on-balance volume, which is a general summation uh, of the volume behind the green candles and the volume behind the red candles. And it shows, and the way I like to put it is it shows if people are dumping or loading. Uh, and you can use, I like to use, and I wrote an article about this on Ask Traders. I like to use on-balance volume for regular divergence. Regular divergence is reversal uh, divergence. People talk about hidden divergence. That's a continuation divergence. So when you're using a regular divergence, uh, you're using the lows. So ideally, like a lot of times in any kind of severe downtrend, uh, maybe this is a good example. So we have the double bottom here, May 24th. You often see the RSI start to bullishly diverge first. What does that mean? You get the higher lows. Uh, you get the higher lows on the oscillator, which again is calculating on the candle close. Uh, uh, you get the higher lows before the price. So oftentimes RS, um, RSI will bullishly diverge a little early and I don't use that. I wait for an on-balance volume. This isn't a great example of why I use on-balance volume for this thing, but I use on-balance volume. I wait for higher lows and on-balance volume versus lower lows in price. That shows me, what does that tell me? Tells me, tell me. What that tells me, and I'll kind of illustrate this visually. So I look for like a higher movement in the OBV as the price is coming down, that tells me as the price is falling, people are accumulating. All right, you're kind of seeing, uh, and how would that manifest itself? You're seeing big red candles with not a lot of volume behind them and small green candles with a lot of volume behind them. That's how you kind of develop a regular divergence, you know, with the OBV. For hidden, so uh, 
Now for bearish, for regular bearish divergence, which is a bearish reversal, a lot of people use RSI. And I, 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 don't know, I don't know if it's controversial or what, but, but again, this isn't the best example of it, but a lot of people, when they, when they start to get those lower highs in RSI versus price, um, and you're not seeing it here, you know, imagine if the price was like right up, you know, right around here. So you're maybe flat or higher highs. The RSI, like I don't, you want your RSI to reset while the price is consolidating, right? Because uh, when you have, there's not, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like if you keep having lower highs in the RSI, eventually you're oversold. And if you're oversold and the price is still in an uptrend, you're in a great position for another leg. So I don't use the RSI for regular divergence. I use the RSI for hidden divergence, continuation divergence. Got okay. it. So quick question here, because you've got a lot going on. You've yeah. got you've got the actual candlestick patterns that you're looking at. Yep. You've got the Bollinger Bands. Uh, you talked yep. about the eight EMA, and then you've got yes. the OBV and RSI. And mm -hmm. as you were just saying here, this isn't a great example uh, for you know the OBV or the RSI. So with so many mm -hmm. different indicators, how many are you kind of using to actually take a trade? Because I feel like there's never going to be a point where they all line up. Or maybe I'm incorrect here. Well, that's a great question. So it's really how do you approach it? I actually, most of the time, I start out just looking at the candles because I want to kind of get a sense of the essence of the price movement. You know, I'm paying attention to the shadows. You know, upper shadows are bearish, lower shadows are bullish. I'm paying attention to kind of the candles. And then I use kind of my oscillators or my indicators as a confirmation, perhaps. There we um, go. So you can you can almost with certainty take a trade just based off the candlesticks. Then you oh, pull yeah. the other stuff up. If you're seeing some sort of confirmation or confluence, then you say, okay, this is the trade that I'm going to take. Yeah, because there's, you know, in, in crypto, you could trade them. There's a million alts you can trade. You can spot, you can leverage, you can do futures, you can do, you can do a million, trade a million things. So why rush into anything? So um, wait, wait for things to line up, you know, be, be conservative with your entries, be conservative with how you approach your trading, only trade if X, Y, and Z line up, you know, set yourself up for success. Yeah, um, I think that's yeah. one of the issues that a lot of new traders tend to have is they say, I need to get into a trade right now. They cannot stop themselves from pulling a chart up, looking at it and saying, this is going to go up or down. Let me take a trade right now. And uh, generally, not everything in their so-called trading strategy, what they've developed so far, is lined up. They just need to get into a trade, which is the downfall of a lot of them, in my opinion. Well, that's uh, yes, you're doing that because you're bored or you're craving right? action. That's not really trading. That's just gambling. That's just that's just kind of uh, you're chasing a, a rush. Exactly. I think I think what really separates the men from the boys, I will say, is. Um, the, the patience that I think a lot of the more experienced guys have. I've talked to people who have said, I can wait, you know, they, they trade yeah. relatively low time frames, but they say I can wait, you know, one day, two days a week before taking a trade, even though they're looking at the five minute chart, uh, just because nothing has come up and nothing has presented itself as a great trade to them. I mean, that's really it. I mean, if uh, any, anybody should be happy with one great trade a week that, you know, pays your rent or pays, your rent five times over. I mean, one good trade is worth waiting for. Um, it's really, it's just about discipline. Like I said, because you can trade anytime you can trade on any platform. It's very easy to lose your money. It's very easy to risk your money. They make it easy for you. They make it so easy. Man. 24 hours a day, 50 different exchanges that you can send your money to a bunch of yep. different financial uh, instruments, I should say, or would say uh, that you can lose your money to. And that's it. Uh, it's mind blowing to me that there's that many options out there. I mean, same with all markets, you know, there's, there's people trying to make money on the opposite end of you want to trade. Uh, and then there's the exchanges and stuff that can just churn out money, pumping it out 24 seven. Uh, so they make it easy for you. They make it easy. It's interesting. You know, you've, but you've got to have, someone has to buy the top. Like you have to have someone to buy a blow off top, right? You have to have FOMO chasers. You have to have someone to buy, buy your bags, you know, when you're up a hundred percent, doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, and there's always going to be people to buy the top, you know, that being said, doesn't mean we shouldn't be out there teaching risk management and teaching people to scale in and to scale out and not to FOMO, 
There um, we go. But, and, and I think you and your education, uh, you know, kind of setup that you've got now where you're teaching others and mentoring others is definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, really quick before we move on, did just have two other questions for you because you said, you know, one great trade a week and you can pay your rent or you can pay your rent five times over. Uh, I, I just wanted to get from personal experience. How many trades are you taking, let's say, in a month? It, it depends. I'm trading a lot more now because I just finished my book and I was I was working on that like, I don't know, 10 hours a day for the last X number of months. Um, I'm probably every month. I'd say I'm probably doing at least a few trades a day right now. Okay. There we go. So just, just trying to get a judge for kind of where you're at in the market. Uh, so yep. a couple trades a day, pretty, pretty hands-on stuff there. Um, one other question I did have for you because... I'm not really paying attention to candlestick patterns too often, right? We talked mm -hmm. about, you know, different ones like the spinning top, shooting star, hammer candles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I was just wondering if there are certain chart patterns or candlestick patterns that you see on a pretty regular basis uh, when trading Bitcoin. I don't know about patterns on Bitcoin. I wouldn't say big. Well, yes, there's there's the Darth Maul candle everyone talks about. Of course. <laughs> Which is called, it's called, well, there's two things. So I'll say Darth Maul and I'd say Bart. Um, Darth Maul is a, called a high wave spinning top um, where you have a small candle body in the long upper and lower ranges. It's, it's, it sounds cool to say Darth Maul, so maybe they'll change that one day, uh, candlestick theory. Um, and then like a Bart. A Bart is actually called, I don't know how that looks. It's called a tower top, tower top or tower bottom where you have the two walls, the, the consolidation then you, you know you shoot up or you shoot down so you see that a lot in bitcoin um what i would tell people to pay attention to is just focus on the candle wicks the shadows that those are really important if you're trying to get a sense of the direction look look for for look for the volume and look for those lower shadows right or upper shadows and that really will kind of get you started in the right direction for candlesticks there we go perfect so really quickly because those two that you mentioned are the standard with Bitcoin and anyone who's yeah. on crypto Twitter has seen them. They've seen the the charts with Bart actually, you know, overlaid on the chart. They know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. And yeah. they've seen the Darth Maul memes as well. Uh, yeah. And so I was wondering if we can maybe dive a little bit deeper into those and, and talk about sure. why they kind of happen, because sure. I, I feel like there's some speculation around it. Other people, you know, a lot of a lot of different theories have been thrown out uh, in mm -hmm. your personal opinion. Can we start with the Darth Maul? Why does that happen? Why does that happen? So let's go ahead and I'm going to get that here. So let's just pull it up. I'm going to share screen for a minute and jump back. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So I have up kind of uh, uh, kind of an illustration of uh, different candlesticks. So here's a high wave spinning top. All right. It's also a Darth Maul candle. So the reason why you have this candle is um, – Market makers are trying to wreck you, man. They're, they're stop loss hunting. You have leveraged traders uh, who are stacking, who have or, stacked orders. You have all sorts of money that is, everyone can see these market makers can see where the money is. And you have a lot of people who bought, let's just take a round number. They bought it, you know, a short at 10K. So their stop loss is just above 10K. So if their stop loss is just above 10K, market makers are going to blow out their stops before before they drop it, right? They're, they do whatever, the, the house does whatever it can do to screw you and make sure you lose money on a great trade that you've set up perfectly and done everything right. And that's kind of the frustrating thing. So you see these high wave candles because of, I believe, because of all the leverage trading uh, and because of money being moved around to kind of trigger stop losses and stop loss hunt is what I would say is why they happen. Perfect. And then with regards to the Barts, this one is a little bit more difficult, I would say, to explain. Uh, I've seen a lot of speculation on this one. I don't know if you have any opinions on why this might be happening. It's actually kind of um, – I'm going to pull one up example up here. I almost I, – I think I saw one on the whatever chart, the Bitcoin chart you had up. It was kind of not the best example, I would say. But right behind there, you can see that huge run up and then the – Yeah, that's a tower top. So it's a very fair example. It's actually quite orderly. This is actually quite orderly. You have, you have a strong move. Look at the volume, too. You have the volume, big move and the volume up, big move and the volume down. So you have a big move and overextension, and then kind of uh, the bids dry up, and then you just have an acceleration uh, based on a bear break. So you have a very clear kind of level 
to break on. When you when you move up this fast, you don't create any kind of intermediary, um, kind of intermediate, any kind of short-term support. It's not like you went up, did a bull flag, broke out, did a symmetrical triangle, and then came back. Because if that was the case, you'd have kind of levels to bounce off of. So it's actually quite orderly and really not that crazy uh, for those for those patterns to develop, in my opinion. There we go. Perfect. So those, again, those are the two. If you're new to crypto trading, I feel like you will, as you start to investigate the charts a little bit more, you will start to see these pop up more and more often. Um, so I appreciate yeah, totally. you kind of going through those two. Uh, you mentioned I'm not saying I'm right. It's just my opinion. No, I, I yeah, lo I, I love to be wrong. Tell me I'm wrong so I can learn. That's why I'm here, man. Right. I think you know you make those mistakes. You put yourself out there. Someone corrects you. It's not an aha. We got you. It's a aha. I learned something. Thank you. Um, and I feel like that's a big part of the issues that people have on crypto Twitter. Is everyone's out to try to prove each other wrong. No one's really trying to accept and learn from their mistakes, which is tough. Mm -hmm. uh, but you mentioned your book a couple times. You've been working mm -hmm. on it for the last, or you said you were working on it ten hours a day for I don't know how long. Uh, a couple of years, just a couple of years. A couple, um, <laughs> ten hours a day for a couple of years. Okay, so. no, no big deal. It's only consumed me for the last two years. Yeah, right. Okay, so can you uh, tell us a little bit more about the book? So let me let me steal away here for a second. So um, back in. Uh, back in 2017, when I was di uh, I was diagnosed with, so I, I came into crypto in the middle of 2017. I started posting on Twitter and all of a sudden my Litecoin and Bitcoin charts were getting tons of engagement. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Let me, let me start doing that. I got into crypto in 17 and that's uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, with lymphoma, stage three lymphoma around November of 2017. And so Bitcoin's hitting 20K and then we have the alt season that's happening as I'm going through chemotherapy. Jesus. So without, without crypto Twitter, I, I don't know what it would have done because my charts were getting crazy engagement. So I was interacting with people on Twitter. I was tweeting out, you know, I'm, I'm going to have chemo today and I'd have like a hundred responses telling me like, I got your back. You're the man. Like you got this. And like that helped me. Huge that support really system on Twitter. Bro. It's unbelievable. Normally when we're tearing each other down and you suck and you're called, you know, so th they gave me strength and I love to hear that, you know, I, but sorry yeah. to cut you off really quick. Go, 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 a go. lot of people have been talking about how toxic crypto Twitter is, but yeah. I feel like you, there's very little toxicity compared to kind of the support that people show each other on crypto Twitter. I've seen it, you know, firsthand. I know lots of people. I have like a support network almost uh, mm. that, that have helped me through a lot. And yours is obviously a much, I'd say heavier case uh, where you really needed, needed that support and that outlet. And it sounds like crypto Twitter was just that for you. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You've got to have your friends and, and it's amazing. Even though we're just tweeting at each other, you can actually develop friendships um, and that does happen. Um, the fact that people were still help, I was still putting out valuable information. I was reading the trends. I was, I was understanding the price action. I was still posting, you know, 15 minute updates and, that gave me purpose. That gave me a reason to not focus on the fact that I was fighting cancer. It gave me an identity. It gave me something to really gleam onto. Um, my Twitter, when I discovered crypto Twitter, crypto Twitter, I had 10 K followers in Twitter. And then, um, you know, five months later I was at 40,000. So there was kind of a big, that as, as a lot of people were, you know, at that time when Bitcoin hit 20 K, but that was an explosion for me. And I focused on that identity while I was going through treatment. Um, and I, I, I realized throughout the process that, that I was inspiring people. Because um, I, it was a it was a thing I was sharing with them, and I felt like I was doing well, and I was I was putting on a good face. It was inspirational, and I thought, I, and I should write a book one day. So I started taking notes, and so for for two years, really from the start of that until uh, here in June, I, um, June was the two year anniversary of my last radiation. Wow! I did Congrats! Si I did. Uh, thank you, bro. I did six sessions of uh, of chemotherapy, fifteen sessions of radiation. Um, and two years later, the, you know, cancer hasn't come back. It's probably not going to come back because it's an aggressive uh, lymphoma, blood cancer. So I'm pretty much, I pretty much have beat it. And so that was the anniversary Huge when congrats, I was man. releasing the book, man. I know, right? It's um, it's crazy. I saw that ponytail as you kind of looked left. I saw that ponytail. You got uh, what up? Yeah, hair, uh, hair's, hair's back and looking good, dude. That's that's in my book. You got to read my book, like. Like going into go when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had a ponytail because I just let it grow. I was chilling. I was feeling good. It was, I was I was strong. I felt 
virile, you know? And then I went through chemo and I was reduced to like a, like a shadow. I was, I was nothing. Um, and I'm doing a free version of my book on YouTube. Uh, I'm recording one chapter at a time. I just, just recorded the second chapter. My body is weak, but my mind is strong, which was like, that was the day before my final chemotherapy session. I was like, there's nothing to be left. And like, that was the mantra I used to hype myself up to just get through that last session. And Jesus, man. I don't know. How, I, got, I don't know how dude, you were giving any sort of focus to crypto Twitter when you're going through that, but I had to, dude, I had to, or I would have gone crazy. Like yeah. I had to have that off ramp. I had to have that next step, that future to plan for, to believe in. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I wrote the book. It's about, I was also, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately, after I beat my cancer. So I learned about being a caregiver. Um, so I look at it from both the patient and the caregiver's side. Um, and that's really what the book, a lot of what the book is all about. I just published it. There's a Kindle, uh, there's a paperback format. I talk a lot about you know, crypto trading and no, I actually don't talk that much about crypto trading, but I talk about the relationship with crypto Twitter and stuff like that. Um, so, but thank, you know, thank you for letting me talk about that. Yeah, of course, man. Very, very inspiring stuff. And I know that this is on a different level, but I know a lot of people yeah. are kind of struggling through stuff in their day-to-day -day life. And crypto yeah. Twitter has very much been an outlet for them. And so I just want to encourage, you know, anyone who's listening to this, who's maybe struggling through some stuff, you know, reach out. You kind of have that support network on crypto Twitter. Uh, and these people are, you know, they've been there for the, for us. You know, they were there for you. They've been there for me. I know a ton of other people can kind of say the same thing about crypto Twitter. Um, so I, huge congrats good, to you, man. Oh, I appreciate that. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. No. Thanks. Th thank you, man. Um, I just had a thought. I j There's really nice people out there. You just have to be willing to deal with some some jerks in between. Uh, so if you it can does kind of happen. Learn, yeah, and if you're going to open yourself up to it and ask for support, you have to um, filter it just a little bit and not let that, uh, uh, not let that, um, not forget, not uh, lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of good people out there too as well. Yeah, it, sometimes it can be hard. Those negative voices do get pretty loud. Uh, yep. And people start chirping at you on Twitter and it is hard yeah, to manage. But if you kind yeah. of exclude them from your view of Twitter, it really is a, a beautiful place with a lot of community, especially crypto Twitter, just because we've all been through kind of some of the same stuff. We've all come through some financial hardships at one point or another. Uh, yeah. And so there's this camaraderie on there. Uh, it's also us versus them. Isn't it kind of rage against the machine? Exactly. Kind of you know, we're, yeah. we're kind of taking on the bigger guys and we've all kind of come together because of that. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you talking about that and opening up about it. Uh, for anyone who's interested, I can have a link to the Amazon store. Uh, you can check the book out. So I usually like to ask this. I kind of have a general idea of what you're working on. You talked about the YouTube and kind of putting each chapter on there at one at a time. But I always like to ask, you know, what are you most excited for in the coming 12 months? Uh, so is there anything big that you're working on other than kind of getting these chapters released on YouTube? Yeah, I'm actually working on my next book. Uh, it's going to be you're kind of You're a machine, a... man. I'm sorry to cut you off, but you're a machine. You go, you go from Dude, trading I'm... to... Yeah beating cancer to writing a book, spending 10 hours a day writing it. And you say, you know what? That's not enough. I'm going to jump into another one. But, it, you know, we only get this one chance um, at life. And, um, you know, it's better to create than to destroy. And um, those are just, I guess those are slogans. I, I need something to focus on. Uh, I need something to, that, will, that will help me grow. And, and so my second book is going to be kind of a case study on Eastern uh, versus Western technical analysis and trading psychology. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably going to call it like one candle at a time or something kind of like that cliche. But I want to look at, you know, because like Western TA, you have a head and shoulders and Eastern TA, it's called the three Buddha. Uh, and you have, you know, like a, like a Harami and Japanese TA versus an inside bar or an outside bar. So I want to kind of look at the differences between Eastern and Western TA uh, and trading psychology. And I'm kind of, I want to put all that into a book uh, so to do that, I have to really know what I'm talking about. So I'm studying for CMT. I'm taking my CMT level one in December. I'm studying classical charting. I want to understand the rules. I want to learn the rules and then I want to kind of apply them to the market and then teach, you know, I want to have some, I want to provide value and I want to keep, I just want to keep getting better. 
Um, so that's what I'm working on. I'm working on the book. I'm working on my garden. I've got a huge garden. Oh, love to hear it. Huge garden, bro. Everything. <laughs> Grapes, strawberries, eggplant, peppers, you know, fruit trees. Oh. I mean, just it's, it's you're, li- you're living the good life. You know, earlier we yeah. talked about the fact that I'm in a place with an association. I can't do any of that. You know, we, we were talking about the gardening and uh, you mowing your lawn. I said, oh, I've got someone who mows my lawn for me. Uh, so that's my upside. But I don't get to do anything creative on my lawn. It's just a green patch. You're over here planting shit. I love to hear it. I could see a different phase of my life wanting what you have. And I think it really depends on where you are. It's time consuming. It takes time, but there's, I like seeing things grow and um, it's, it's important to me. I got that from my mom kind of green thumb uh, thing. And uh, so I have, I, we moved here last year and I have the ability to grow those things. I've always wanted to, I've never grown grapes. I've never had, apple trees, whatever. So we'll see if it survives. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> First step is getting them in the ground. Second step is getting them out of yeah. the ground and sprouting. Uh, yep. So very excited to see how that all turns out. Um, Thanks, man. Circling back on the book, you know, there is such a, a disconnect with, between the way the mindsets and the psychology of Eastern and Western traders, in my opinion, and not only traders, just in general, uh, just kind of the mindset and the divide between the two. So it's going to be a very interesting book. I'm looking forward to seeing what you kind of can come up with. Uh, and whenever I, I know that's going to take a lot of time and effort and it's two years, two years. All right, there we go. So you're, this isn't something that you're just rushing into You're studying. Yeah. Okay. See, that's the, that's the thing I like to hear because, you know, I feel like this is such a new fast moving industry. Everyone's just trying to put stuff out as quick as possible and uh, I don't think they do as much research behind it, which really kind of to a fault, I would say. You want something to stand the test of time. It's it's a legacy. It's it's if you're going to put something out there, you're putting your name on it. In my case, I guess, Cheds, but you're putting your kind of yourself behind it, your brand, uh, your reputation. Um, and I, I just want it to be valuable. And I need to learn. I really need to learn these things. And, then, you know, it needs to be marketed correctly. Fine. It needs to be formatted. The pages have to, there's little things you have to format it. But I really want to make it interesting. I want to kind of really get into it, understand it, and then come up with something. And, you know, that just takes time. It is a process to it. There we go. Very much looking forward to it. Appreciate your kind of mindset on this and not jumping into it and rushing out just because you can. Um, so I, I appreciate everything we've talked about today. I usually like to try to end with a biggest tip. And uh, you're a very experienced trader. You've got 10 years plus trading experience. So do you think you could just give us, you know, your your biggest tip for the beginners and then your biggest tip for kind of those intermediate guys looking to take things to the next level? So I think the number one rule of trading should be, especially for beginner, is is just avoid big losses. Uh, if you can just do that one thing, if you can find a way to avoid the big loss, uh, you'll, you'll kind of afford yourself the opportunity to make other smaller losses, other smaller mistakes that you can learn from. Uh, a big loss can take you out of the game. Uh, it can just, I, I, I can just hear it in your silence that you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know what to say, you know, honestly. Um, you know, I was kind of just thinking, it's a very big, basic overview. Do you have anything, maybe a little bit further, I, I like to push my guests, uh, like anything specifically on how to avoid these big losses. Well, the, the best way to do that is to keep a trading journal. Oh, sorry, stop for, to avoid a big loss, Stop loss. You have to have a stop loss. You have to have a level at which you're willing to to admit th- this trade uh, has failed. I'm not going to hold on to it. And you're going to commit to not averaging down. Don't average down on your losers. Uh, if you're in like, you know, an altcoin trade from, you know, like a year and a half ago, whatever, look up uh, Google sunk cost fallacy, right? Don't, do not keep buying. Do not keep averaging down. That's how I lost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a penny stock. Okay, from you oh, know, I hate three, to hear it, man. Just don't do it. <laughs> from experience, Abort. guys. Yes, from experience. Yeah. Do not lose quarter of a million dollars. Kind of chasing that price down, expecting this reversal. Yeah, you gotta. You have to be willing to cut your losses. So that means defining. You need to define your risk. Do not let the risk define you. You do that by limiting a certain percentage of your bankroll for each play. I say five percent. Uh, keeping a tight stop loss and sticking to it. Do not 
average down. Worst case, maybe split yourself up into two buys. You buy once and you're willing to buy a second time, but that's it. You know, scale in, scale out, that kind of thing. Um, for more advanced traders, what I would try to do, um, I would try to challenge yourself to find a way to challenge your bias. You know, look at an inverted chart, hit that alt I and trading view and, and look at that chart upside down. Uh, step away for a minute and then look at it again. And do you still, you know, like, do you still, do you, are you still kind of, you know, seeing it the way you saw it before? You know, are you keeping a trading journal? Are you keeping a trading log where you're writing down why you entered and why you exited and what, what happened? You know, you're learning from your mistakes or are you kind of repeating them? Find a way to uh, challenge your bias and find a way to kind of um, observe your own behavior, observe yourself, observe your emotions, kind of observe your, your thought process. And that's what I would say you should try to do. Some very interesting takes there. I have never heard this. And I've never heard anyone say this, uh, especially on my show, is to actually just step back from the chart and look at it again to see if you have that same mindset. I feel like so many people, they look at a chart, they spend a lot of time looking at it. You know, they'll look at it for five, 10, 15 minutes, pull up a, a couple different indicators, really think about it, but they never take that step away from it and come back. Uh, and I think that really brings some clarity to your trading. Uh, and some people are like, oh, I have to take trades right now, this second. You know, if you're looking at anything on the hourly, four hour, 12 hour, one day, you can walk away from the chart for a good 10, 15 minutes, clear your head, come back, and that trade will still be there. I mean, in this market, it's open all the time. So I, I, I'll never accept that, that you have to jump into any trade. I just, I can't accept that. Love it. I, I think that is a great way to end the episode. You got that beginning trader tip for them, and then you got stuff for the more advanced or intermediate guys. So I really appreciate it. Uh, if Is there anything else that you think we may have missed or that you want my audience to know before we go? Um, don't beat yourself up. It's going to take a lot of time. Um, you know, it just takes a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of mistakes. Give yourself the ability to learn from your mistakes, but don't beat yourself up. Just give it some time. If you find that you're too emotional, step away, take a break. Um, but take care of yourself, you know, drink water, sleep well, exercise, kind of do the things, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're abusing your body, if you're doing things to abuse yourself, you're not going to trade well, it's just not going to happen. So you got to kind of look at it holistically. And that's what I would, I would kind of try to leave people with. I love it. I know too many people who completely disregard their health and drink. What? <laughs> See that that's a okay. I'm talking about the guys who are taking amphetamines or drinking 17 Jesus. cups of coffee a day to stay up for three days straight trading, mm -mm. and it just it, it ruins traders and the, the longevity of your trading. It just yeah. it it kills it really. Um, you've been here, you know, like I was saying, ten or so years. Could be longer. I might be off on that one. Uh, but you know, you've kind of withstood the tests of time. Uh, doing these things and kind of treating your body and mind right and developing your strategy, kind of managing your risk is all kind of plays into you being around still here, still trading 10 years later. Uh, That's it. And I make a lot of, the, I still make a lot of, a lot of the same mistakes over and over again. I'm human. Um, and so I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning. And so, you know, I would also tell people, uh, don't try to be me. Don't try to be Charles. Don't try to be someone else. You can only be the best version of yourself. You know, so if someone tweets out their PL at you, I mean, like whatever, don't take, has nothing to do with your life. Like other people's trading has nothing to do with your life. You know, I've done an episode on this specifically where we say, we, we talked about, you know, comparing yourself to others on Twitter Ugh, and it, terrible. it ruins people. You know, you yeah, see man. people posting hundred thousand dollar wins and losses and you start comparing yourself to them and it just it ruins your trading, especially when you're trading, you know, a $200 win is killer for you. And then you see these guys, 100K, 200K, 500K wins. And you're like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? I was thinking about the quote as I was mowing the lawn. I don't know why it came into my head, but comparison is the death of joy. And that's it. You can, that's the death of joy is comparison. So I made a thousand bucks. I feel great. I see you made 50,000. All of a sudden I feel like, like crap. Shit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's no like good. garbage. But you know, you don't know. A, a, you don't know if it's if it's a photoshopped. B, if they made the money, fine. But did they show you the other two hundred grand they lost? Right. You know, like 
Twitter it, still, Twitter is a very small window of everyone's yeah. trading life. Right, uh, right. And only the best seems to get posted on there. You <laughs> like never Facebook. See the losses. It's like Facebook, right? Everyone uh, you know, everyone looks great all the time. Right. Just, all the social media has really affected the way we think about things and kind of mm-hmm. view other people's lives. Well, we forget that we forget that we're human, we forget that we're flawed, we forget that we're not perfect, we forget that, you know, we make mistakes because everyone has to be perfect for someone else. No, like be 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 for yourself, you know. Yeah. Be who you want to be for yourself, you know. I so that, I, yeah. I think that is the perfect way to end this episode. Thank you again for sitting down, taking the time. We learned. I learned a lot today, and I'm hoping my audience did as well. So again, Cheds, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thanks, bro. It's a real a real fun. Thanks for um, being flexible with the timing, and and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you.